gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Welcome back to My Two Cents Podcast. This is episode 101, which is entitled Reintroduction. Um, I am your host, G2. And before I get into the topics today, I want to read off the National Food Days of the Week. Today being November 20th, it is Peanut Butter Fudge Day. Tomorrow, November 21st, it is Stuffing Day, as well as Gingerbread Cookie Day, as well as Cranberry Day. November 22nd, Cranberry Relish Day. November 23rd, Cashew Day, as well as Espresso Day. November 24th, Thanksgiving, it is Sardines Day, which is weird because it's supposed to be Turkey Day, but nevertheless, November 25th, Parfait Day, and to finish it off, November 26th, Cake Day. Now, to start the show, I want to talk about Nancy Pelosi as she has stepped down as the leader of the U.S. House Democrats, as this come from BBC. Uh, the 82-year-old is the most powerful Democrat in Congress and the first woman to serve as a Speaker of the House. She will continue to represent her California district in the lower chamber of Congress. It comes as Republicans are projected to take back control of the House following the midterm elections. Uh, Republican Kevin McCarthy has won the party's nomination to be Speaker in the new Congress and is likely to succeed Ms. Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi did say in the chamber on Thursday when she announced that she was stepping down, I never would have thought that someday I will go from homemaker to house speaker. I will not seek re-election to the Democratic leadership in the next Congress. Nancy will continue to say that the hour has come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus. Uh, Ms. Pelosi will serve as speaker until January when a new Congress takes over and will remain in the seat she took place in 1987 until January 2025. So it was announced or spectated that New York Congressman uh, Hakeem Jeffries is widely expected to take up uh, the top Democratic leadership post in the House, which would make him the first black congressional leader in United States history. But there are also other candidates as well besides Mr. Jeffries, because it was announced on NPR that there have been some other candidates that could probably take the mantle if Jeffries is not chosen, another person is Catherine Clark of Massachusetts, which is 59, is expected to be a strong candidate to be the next majority whip. Clark most recently served as assistant speaker during this congressional session and worked alongside Pelosi as the two women in party leadership. Another person is Pete Aguilera of California, 43, is expected to be a contender for caucus chair. Jeffries' current role, Aguilera, who currently serves as the Democratic Congress caucus vice chair is the highest ranking Latino in Congress and gained more prominence as a member of the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol. And you have two more other people from California as well, and Amy Burra and Tony Cardenas. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing their names wrong, but those are some other people that could take the arm and also be like trying to take that position as well. So it's not just going to be handed over to Akeem Jeffries. Again, it's been speculated that he might be the one, but we are not certain of that yet. So again, I don't know much about politics. I don't really care about politics. The only thing I care about is if it ever has to like affect me. And right now, none of these rules have affected me nor the people that I associate myself with. So I just want to make sure people understand that. I don't know much about politics, but I'm going to try to get better at learning it. But 
Um, that made big news because Nancy Pelosi has been around in Congress for about a good, what, 20 years in that spot. She's been around, what, politics the majority of all of her life because her father was in politics. And then it made sense for her to be in politics. They had a photo of her with, uh, I believe, John F. Kennedy whenever Good Morning America was scrolling through her history in Congress. So, again, um, she's been around politics all her life. And for her to step down from the seat, it makes a big deal because, again, she's been holding that down for almost two decades. And the reason why I think that she's given up the seat, and I think people are thinking this, too, is because her husband got attacked uh, last month. and he might not be all the way there or he might be slowly about to leave this earth and I think she wants to spend as much time as she can with him before he actually does leave so um it's a good thing is a it's a good thing for her to step down to spend time with her husband and all that type of stuff so I hope that her husband doesn't pass away yet I hope that she gets to spend as much time as she can with him because remember my man got popped in the head with I believe a hammer last month so that is a that's pretty pretty gnarly off top. So I hope that uh he makes a recovery. I know she made a statement that he's trying to recover. He's just been in house arrest. He has family and loved ones surrounded behind around him. And I know this is uh Thanksgiving week. So hopefully family is around uh the Pelosi family. Well her children and all that type of stuff are around her. Because again, uh she now has to look after her husband. So I'm glad she's stepping down. I'm glad other individuals can now take the seat. Younger individuals that probably have fresher ideas to take that uh, seat. So hopefully, um, again, Nancy will be able to just be okay in retirement with less responsibilities as in government work. Because she now has to take on a whole another responsibility of taking care of her husband. And just wait on him to see if he's going to recover or drift away. So um, that was news from the political side of things. Also, it was also reported this week from ABC News that Gabby Petito's family was awarded $3 million in lawsuit against Brian Laundrie's estate. As it was reported, a Florida judge has awarded Gabby Petito's family $3 million in a wrongful death lawsuit filed against Brian Laundrie's estate. Um, they ordered the judgment on Thursday. The lawsuit claimed that Laundrie intentionally killed the 22-year-old and as a direct result of his conduct, Gabby Petito's mother and father incurred funeral and burial expenses and they have suffered a loss of care and comfort and suffered a loss of probable future compensation society and comfort an attorney for the petito family said whatever settlement money is received will go to the gabby petito foundation which was formed by her family after her death to help fight domestic violence and finding missing persons no amount of money is sufficient to compensate the petito family for the loss of their daughter gabby at the hands of brian laundry their attorney said in a statement, Brian did not have $3 million is an arbitrary number. A trial which had been scheduled for December will no longer be held as a result of the judgment, he said. Now, an attorney for the Laundry family said he worked with the Petito's family's lawyer to reach a settlement to avoid the expenses of a trial when the outcome of a money judgment was unavoidable. Hopefully, this brings some closure to this one chapter of this tragedy, the lawyer said in a statement. This is one of several lawsuits involving the death of Petito. In a civil lawsuit filed in Florida in March against Laundrie's parents, Petito's parents alleged that Brian Laundrie's parents 
knew he killed her and were trying to help him flee. Attorneys for DeLaundry parents denied the allegations and unsuccessfully sought to dismiss the lawsuit. A jury trial in the case is scheduled to begin in August 2023. So Gabby Petito's family is going to constantly go after the Brian Laundry family over their son killing their daughter. And this is to be expected. This is to be truly expected because, again, your boy killed our daughter um, and you guys kind of knew about it. Not kind of. They expected that you knew about it. And you guys didn't come to the police or nothing. So again, it's to be expected you're going to constantly get slammed with lawsuit after lawsuit because you guys potentially had the knowledge to know about what was going on and you guys just didn't want to tell us exactly what happened to our daughter or where your son could be found so he could be arrested. So this is just me telling you guys what's going on with that current situation. This thing will constantly be updated as more information continues to be brought out as the time comes more and more for for that uh, trial to hit, but I just want to give you guys an update on the Gabby Petito situation since that hit the news this week. Now, moving away from that topic, I had to cover a topic that is real, real uh, sensitive that just happened this week, early technically this week, technically last Sunday, uh, where University of Virginia lost three college football players thanks to a shooting that happened on their bus. As it's coming from the Associated Press, Christopher Jones Jr., a former University of Virginia football running back, is suspected of murdering three other players from the school's team. The athlete allegedly opened gunfire on a school bus full of teammates on Sunday, November 13th, around 10.30 p.m. after returning from a game. He is now in custody. According to authorities, the gunfire killed teammates Deshaun Perry, Lavelle Davis, and Devin Chandler among wounding two others. Now, according to the suspect's father, Christopher Jones Sr., his son was dealing with bullying before the shooting. As Sr. spoke with NBC12 following the breaking news that his son had allegedly committed a triple homicide while on the campus bus, the father made claims that while he last remembered talking to his 22-year-old son um, last month, he appeared normal but he did admit that he was getting picked on at school. I can't believe it was him. I still can't believe it now. His father said to the news outlet a month ago, he came to the house, he did his laundry, and we sat and talked. He was doing real well. He got into school. He got on the football team and excelled. He excelled in everything. Everybody loved Chris. I don't know what happened between then and now to cause this to happen. Senior said in regards to his son's alleged bullying at school, he had some problems. The last time I talked to him, he said some people was picking on him or whatever. He didn't know how to handle it. He added, I just told him, go to school. Don't pay them no mind. Do what you got to do. He was real paranoid about something when I talked to him, but he wouldn't tell me everything. Following the shooting, authorities said Jones Jr. fled the scene and continued to elude the cops for about 12 hours. He was later arrested and now the suspect is facing six charges, including three counts of second-degree murder. His father would issue an apology on his son's behalf. Why did he have to get this far? He could have called me. I don't know what to say except I'm sorry on his behalf, and I apologize. He's not a bad kid. He really isn't. He added, I just don't know what happened. I wasn't there. I just don't know what happened to cause all of this. Now, during Christopher Jones Jr.'s uh, first court arraignment, which happened this Wednesday, a witness did come forward denying claims that the shooting was random. The unnamed witness declared that the murders were targeted at certain students on the school bus returning from the trip to see a play. So now we at least know that he targeted certain individuals. These might be the people that bullied him. This might be the people that didn't 
like mess with him while he was on the football team. I don't know what the deal is. This is just a weird thing. Again, he hasn't said nothing. The only thing that we can go off of is his father speaking. And again, this is weird. When I heard about a school shooting at a college, I'm not going to hold and lie to anybody. I thought it was a white person that did it. I don't care what you think. I thought a white person did it because usually school shootings or big shootings of any type of degree are usually carried out by white individuals. It's a rare rarity whenever it's either a black person or somebody else of another ethnicity, but school shootings or shootings in general are usually conducted by white individuals. So when I saw this and I heard about it, I was like, okay, another white person doing another school shooting. Oh my God, here we go with this again. But then when I looked into it and I saw a black man that did this, I was like, oh, wait a minute. You shooting up? What are you doing? What are you doing? Because this usually gets settled different ways. We usually fight about it or something else get handled in a way like dog. We don't usually start bringing guns and start shooting up on places. We don't do that in schools. We don't do that in that situation. For me to see that and look into it, and I was like, I was shocked by it. I'm not going to try to lie to anybody. I was legitimately shocked because, again, this is not relegated to us. People might say, Gerald, technically, you can look into it. School shootings have no race. Uh, I beg to differ. When you look at all the school shootings and you do a graph, you hear school shooting just off top. You're going to think white person did a school shooting. I don't care who you are. You're going to think that. But then when you look into it and you see another ethnicity that did that shooting, you're going to start questioning what happened here. This this breaks the norm. This breaks the thing that we're all accustomed to. And that happened right here. But getting off of that, I want him to talk. I do. I want Junior over here to talk to explain why he targeted these three. Why? Why? Because, again, this makes no sense. School shootings in general don't make no sense at all. But with white individuals doing it, you're like, okay, that's part of course. But with any other ethnicities, you just try to figure out the big reason of why. Did What was the deal? Did they haze you when you got on the team? Did they put you down what what was the deal something has to be said and i'm just waiting for this guy to say something only thing we can go off is his father saying that he was bullied and that's about it the father doesn't know the lengths of the bullying so again we're just here waiting to find out what happened and uh i will give you guys more information as this story continues to develop on to the next topic, as this comes from WSOC-TV, is a news station out of Charlotte, North Carolina. As the title reads, many questions remain after Charlotte woman dies at Mexican Resort. A Charlotte family is pending for answers after their daughter, Shanquilla Robinson, died in Cabo St. Lucas, Mexico, late last month. It's like a nightmare. I can't even sleep. I am just frustrated. My heart is just aching as a father, a praying man, said Bernard Robinson. Shanquilla's father, I just want some truth because this doesn't add up. He said his daughter went to Cabo with six friends on October 28th. They stayed at Villa Linda 32, a rental offered by CaboVillas.com on October 29th. Shanquilla Robinson died October 29th and she got there October 28th, according to Bernard Robinson. Her friends returned to Charlotte and informed him and his wife that their daughter died from alcohol poisoning. However, the death certificate obtained by Channel 9 lists Shanquilla's Robinson's cause of death as severe spinal cord injury and atlas sublesion complex. Alcohol is not mentioned on the death certificate. The document lists the approximate time between injury and death as 15 minutes in a box asking 
whether the death was accidental or violent. The signee responded yes. The death certificate noted Shanquilla Robinson was found unconscious in the living room. On Wednesday, a video surfaced showing a woman attacking Miss Robinson. The victim's mother identified the people in the video as the friends her daughter accompanied on the trip to Cabo. While the original source of the video is unclear, the mother believes it was taken during the Cabo trip. In the video, a person could be heard asking Shanquilla Robinson could at least fight back. And for the people that don't know, there was a video of Shanquilla Robinson getting beat down by a girl in the a hotel room and Shaquilla was uh, naked. People were saying and thinking that she was intoxicated at the time of the video. I have no idea. And that's the only video that's ever came out about this. And I think this came about everybody's like shocking this week personally, because I didn't know nothing about this uh, situation until this week, until it started floating around uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff and such. And people just start putting out tweets about this. And I didn't know, like, okay, I just thought this was just a girl getting beat down because it's not like we haven't seen uh, stuff like this before. People being stupid, people just being, like, ratty and just attacking somebody in a hotel room or in the streets and all that. It's happened. You can look it up on YouTube, World Star, all these other uh, websites. But to know that a woman died, literally, and this is almost going on a month now, it's nuts. Because nobody has answers for this. I mean, the family wants answers. They're not getting it like that because the people in, like, American state is not, like, the country isn't really following up on this. And it's it's a shame. Only thing that we can do is hope for, like, Twitter and the social media police to actually follow up on this to get so much traction on this that the people in North Carolina can actually get to this like government to talk to them and say, hey, oh, we actually do need to follow up on this and get some uh, people down there across the border to figure out, OK, get the surveillance footage from them and all this type of stuff from the video uh, from the hotel and all this type of stuff, hopefully, because it's crazy. She arrives literally to Cabo with her six friends on October 28th, and then she ends up dying literally the next day. The next day, not even two weeks, not a week, not four or five days. No, literally the next day she's dead. Do y'all not know how sick that is? That is sickening. That is extremely sick. And then what makes us sick is that I'm not even certain how long the friends, quote unquote, even stayed down there in that villa. They stayed there, I don't know how long, but then they come back and then to hear that they informed the, the that their dead, quote unquote, friends, mom and dad, that, hey, uh, your daughter's dead and she died of alcohol poisoning. Nah, y'all were able to fix something down there. I'm not saying that you did, but let me just put it like this. That video is pretty damning, Okay. I think everybody is going to get questioned. I think all six of those quote-unquote friends that were with her, they're going to get questioned. I think that some officer in uh, Charlotte, like police, Charlotte, somewhere down there is going to look into that because somebody already has the names posted up online. It's easy to look up to see who the six people were in that room with Mrs. Robinson when she passed away. Somebody has the list already floating out there all the names. It ain't gonna be hard for a police officer that really wants to just that it's not feeling right in their soul to really just like look at that list and say, you know what, we're gonna find these people, we're gonna question them about this and so we can get answers because I think anybody that has had like family members 
that have went to a different country with quote unquote friends and then they not come back or even hell certain people in the states people have uh sons or daughters going to a sleepover or a camping trip with quote unquote friends and then their kids not come back from that that's a traumatic thing that has happened here in the states and certain people still don't get uh resolved from that certain people get resolved from that because they see the people that was last with their kids get arrested for that type of stuff and then they have a trial for it or something at least gets done this in this instance nothing has gotten done so far i'll say that again so far because it just got on everybody's radar. I know for mine it did. It's starting to hit everybody's radar on Twitter this week. So I'm going to just say we're going to wait and give it some time. Uh, but again, I want to say uh, condolences to the Robinson family. I don't know what I would do in this instance if I were you guys. I think I would probably try to go down to each one of those friends, quote unquote, and try to figure out what's up with them, try to make them flip on one another and figure out what happened because that video was disturbing. Now knowing the context of the girl just getting her brain beat in and then like next thing you know, you don't know if that video was taken that day of the 28th or literally the day of the 29th. You don't know which one and she ends up dying next. That video has a whole other concept to it. But again, this was a uh, sickening and disgusting. And I hope that the mother and father of, uh, Shaquilla Robinson gets the answers that they're looking for, and I hope the people that are responsible for this actually pays for this, because again, it's disgusting, it's just nasty, so again, uh, I want to give my condolences to the Robinson family, and I hope you guys do find uh, whatever you need from this situation, and I hope whoever did this is responsible for this do uh, go down. Now off to the next topic, as this comes from Vox.com, V-O-X, not F-O-X. Not Fox, but Vox. And it's all about Donald Trump basically running again for his uh, third time trying to run for president here. As it reads, on Capitol Hill, the day after Trump announced his presidential campaign in an uninspired speech from the ballroom of his private club in Florida, members of his party mostly weren't rushing to rally around him. His role in the GOP subpar performance in the midterms and his 2020 loss were still fresh on many of his, their minds. Instead, Trump had a motley mosh pit or mosh mash of endorsements that is underwhelming compared to his stature as a former president whose support often provided pivotal among Republicans seeking congressional seats in 2022 primaries. One of Trump's earlier endorsers in 2026, Senator Kevin Kramer, was non-committed. I hope a lot of other people get in there. We have choices and they all duke it out, he told Vox. As I often said, he's not entitled to the job. None of us are entitled to these jobs. We have to earn them every single time. In this case, I expect it will be a hard-fought battle. Senator Ted Cruz, who finished second to Trump in the highly contentious 2016 primary before eventually becoming an ally of the former president, also dodged a question talking about do they uh, rally behind Trump in his campaign of trying to reelect. Uh, Cruz told Vox, I think we've accomplished a great deal with Donald Trump as a president, and if he's the nominee, I'll support him. Even Senator Lindsey Graham, a longtime Trump booster, offered qualified praise to the former president on Twitter Tuesday, saying if Donald Trump continues this tone and delivers this message on a constant basis, he will be hard to beat. The only senator that is 100% backing him is Tommy Turberville, who's a Republican from Alabama, who told Vox that he's supporting him 100%. So, okay, the Republicans are not all the way there with Trump, and I don't blame them, to be honest. I don't 
think that him running is going to help their whole cause. I think the Republicans are really trying to get away from Trump. But anyway, I think everybody knew that Trump was going to run again whenever Trump was out here saying that he has another big uh, announcement to say this past week. But my big thing that came away from this week that just had Trump in it was Mike Pence's uh, 2020 or his interview with David Muir. I wasn't sure if it was a 2020 interview, but I think they had it as a 2020. Either way, David Muir sat down with Mike Pence and he talked about uh, Mike Pence's whole emotions about the whole January 6th insurrection uh, situation, him being uh, locked away in the building with his wife and his daughter, uh, him trying to get into, well, his security tried to put him and his family into a motor car. Pence didn't want to go in a motor car because he didn't want the uh, insurrectionists, the terrorists, all of them to see the see his motor car just drive away. Long story short, Pence didn't want to come out looking like a punk, okay? But eventually, he ends up going to the car, and we all know what happens after that. Now, here's the funny thing about this, that I got a kick out of this, okay? David Muir asks Mike Pence, and I, boy, oh boy, do I wish I had a soundbite for this. David Muir asked Mike Pence, did he ever speak to the president after this? He said, I didn't speak to him for five days, okay? And then he talks about the time that he actually did speak to the president after this situation. And he mentions how Trump asked him, how's your wife and your daughter? And Pence said they're doing fine. And then Trump had the nerve to ask Mike Pence, were you afraid? Now, that is some real cockamamie, like, big ball type of stuff to ask somebody after you had these people running up in this building. And I'm going to put all the blame on Trump because he had the rally there. He could have just easily told his people to go back home and all this type of stuff. We'll win it next year or win it in the next four years, whatever, when I rerun again, blah, blah, blah. But no, he said, we'll go down to the Capitol building. I'll meet you there. So Trump is the leader. He's the one that did all this. So I'm just going to point blank. I'm surprised how he's still not charged with this stuff yet, even though he's supposed to be meeting with the uh, January 6th committee for this crap. But again, we'll wait and see as all this crap gets uh, said and done. Um, he asked Mike Pence, where are you afraid? Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not sure about y'all, but... I got a big kick out of that because that is some mafia, mafioso, that is some type of street stuff I've ever seen in my life or heard in my life. You literally had these people run up in a spot with your former guy, your former right-hand man, the one that was right beside you as you were literally the figurehead of the entire country. And your people that you sent over to the Capitol building was saying that they wanted to hang Mike Pence and all this type of stuff causing all this terror and having all those people be afraid. And Mike Pence is in there. And you know this because you get wind about it. I know Trump did. And you mean to tell me that you asked Mike Pence this the next time that you see him five days later or whatever the case may be that Pence said in an interview. And you ask him about his wife and his daughter. And then you ask him, were you afraid? Pence said that he was irate when Trump asked him that question. I laughed out loud and I said, man, that is time for Fader City. Somebody got to catch the fade. You mean to tell me Pence didn't at least 
pop Trump once in the mouth for that? That is no way that kind of crap happens now. None. You're not going to just punk me out right there and say, were you afraid? That is literally Trump pulling Mike Pence's punk card right there in front of Mike Pence. And Pence did not do nothing. That's That takes a lot of restraint. I'll give him that. I don't think a lot of other people would have uh, eaten that restraint, to be honest with you, for somebody sending a mob to their house or mob to their place of work and basically controlling a mob almost for them to basically almost kill you or with them having the idea to kill you because they were chanting, hang Mike Pence. All this type of stuff. Oh, my God. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the most funniest thing that came out of that whole interview because I knew that interview was going to be the exact same wash, rinse, repeat type of stuff from Mike Pence. I already knew it, but once that little nugget came out, I laughed wholeheartedly because there is no way Trump could have said that to anybody else and he would have not gotten popped some way, somehow. <laughs> oh my God, dude, I'm just thinking in any walk of life. If a boss or a co-worker or is anybody, any foundation would have asked you, were you afraid after you did that to them? There's no way you're not at least catching some type of hands. You're not getting some type of feet action be put to you. There is no way you're able to ask me that type of question. I'm surprised Pence didn't pop him as soon as he asked him, how's your wife and your daughter? Because you, you piece of garbage, you knew better. You knew they were in there. That is disgusting and pitiful and nastiness. It's nasty beyond all levels because, again, you're pulling a man's punk card. You're pulling it. As a man, your family is the nearest and dearest, closest thing to you, at least in my book, because that's how I feel about mine. And if you say anything about mine, it's a problem. If you say something about me, I don't care. But if you say something about mine, I, it's a problem. And I think any man has that problem. If you say something about his spouse, you got to beef with them. If you guys say anything about the, his children, you got to beef with them. I don't think that men personally care about themselves. I think they'll take cracking of jokes on themselves more than they do with somebody trying to crack on their family. I just personally think that. But just the way that Trump had the nerve to ask him those two questions, I'm surprised that we did not hear reports about a fight going down in the White House. At least Pence just popping Trump in the mouth for something. But, hey, man, Pence, uh, Pence had a lot of restraint. So it is what it is. I'm just telling you what I found funny out of that whole interview of mid. But it was a mid interview with at least that one thing that came out of it that I found hilarious. And, boy, dude, I was trying to look for that soundbite for you guys, ladies and gentlemen. But if you guys can go back wherever you have it, whether you have a, a cable box that you could go and listen to the uh, interview or you could somehow find it on YouTube or find it somewhere or Hulu. Yeah, Hulu. I'm not subscribed to Hulu, but that's where the uh, interview is. Go ahead and watch that little interview until you get to that part. And I guarantee you, you'll at least have some chuckles because you'll be thinking the exact same thing once you hear how Pence laid it out for you, how Trump asked him that question. There's no way Trump wouldn't at least got popped in the mouth if it was anybody else. Any other, like, skin tone color. I believe Trump probably would have got popped in the mouth off that. But again, uh, more respect for Mike Pence for holding his own. Now, on to the next topic here. Another funny thing, in my personal opinion, as this comes from Business Insider. Gummy bear maker Haribo rewarded a man who found the company's lost $4.8 million check 
with candy. The man said the reward was a bit cheap. Anwar G., the man who found the check, was on his way home from visiting his mother when he saw a piece of paper fluttering on the ground, according to the blid. He picked it up and saw it was a cross check for 4,631,538.80 euros, or in American money, $4.8 million, made out to Harborough from German supermarket chain R-E-W-E. I don't know how to say that. Not going to try it. There was such a large sum on it that I couldn't even pronounce it. Arnwar G told the German media outlet. He then contacted Hari Bro, whose lawyer told him to destroy the check, which Arnwar G did. He even sent a photo proof as requested. Hari Bro then sent a thank you gift box to Arnwar G, which included six packs of the company's products, such as candy. Hari Bro is well known for his gummy bear candy sold in a gold bag. I thought it was a bit cheap, Arnwar G told a newspaper. Harborough confirmed the incident and said since the check was crossed, only the company could have redeemed it anyway. The company added it sent Arnwar G its standard thank you package. Harborough did not immediately respond to a request from Insider for comments that was sent outside regular business <laughs> hours. Let me just say this right now. I don't care who you are. You find a check for that much money, you are not giving that back. Oh my God, I think any other person in this world would have figured out a way. There are people now, out here, because it is now holiday season time. We are now about to be on the wake of people coming out here and trying to really just gang gang grab stuff for this Black Friday and all this type of stuff. You understand what I'm saying to you? People out here trying to finesse old People, people are trying to out here trying to finesse uh, people that are in their right mind. People are just out here trying to finesse any way that they can to get into people's bank accounts, steal their identity. I mean, just anything to grab whatever they can for the holiday season. And you mean to tell me that a company like Harborough did not send this man some type of money, at least something that could have been a thank you besides six packs of candy. Now, there's going to be some people that say that, you know what, they were not required to send him anything because... Well, he just did a good deed for a Samaritan. When you do good deeds, you're not looking for nothing. I get it. I truly do. I get exactly what you're saying when you say that, okay? Or if you have that type of idea. But ladies and gentlemen, that is $4.8 million. Now, I don't know who you are, but if you are even a millionaire, you're not turning down that money. If you are a billionaire, you're not turning down that money. If you are a common Joe right now, in the way that everything is looking for common Joes, common Sallys, common Pete's, common Susans, you're not turning down that money. No way, no how. Now, as I've said, there are people out here that are scamming and finessing anything. They would have found a way how to click clack and cash in that check and got that money. Now, would they have been on the run? When they got that money, probably because I don't think Harborough is going to not notice $4.8 million leaving their bank account. I don't think they're not going to notice that. So you would have been on the run for that. But with that type of money in your hands, I think you would have been on the run for at least for a good little bit before you probably would have got caught or you would have dipped if been extremely mega low. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know that because, again, I'll say it proudly. I am a civilian. I do not do thug activities. I do not do any of these things. I am a civilian, a law-abiding citizen. Thank you very much. So, 
I can just tell you about what I've seen off of movies, off of television, off of things that gets reported on the news about people just doing all these things. People would have found a way to cash in that check and grab that money. But for this man, an honorable man, Arnold RG, to not cash in, to not finesse that check, to not do any of that, but instead call the company up. Tell them, hey, I have your check here for this amount of money. A lawyer for Harvey Bro. A lawyer, not a employee. No, somebody that deals with the law that will be defending a company tells this man to, hey, burn the check, tear it up, and then send me back photo evidence of it, and he does it. And you mean to tell me you guys sent him six bags of lousy candy? I mean, some of the candies are right. Let's not get it twisted. But six bags of candy is not worth that. He had it right. It's a bit cheap. That's what it is. You guys could have given him at least a good two, three grand off that or even something. Because, again, this is holiday season time, ladies and gentlemen. People got to make things do what it do. Because I don't know what it's like in uh, the prices over there in Germany. I don't know what it's like. But people that are over here in the States, we know what the prices are like over here. And people are already having a problem with certain prices now. Because, again, as this episode is uh, released, this is the week of Thanksgiving here. And, again, people are still trying to be out here to grab their stuff for Thanksgiving, grab their food. People are trying to fly out to their families or drive out to their families with the can right now. People are spending money on gas. People are spending money on food just to have the Thanksgiving uh, whole trimmings with their family as they would when they usually did the year before and the years before last. People are trying to have that type meal instead of like changing it up because they want to have a good Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving is all about giving thanks and being around your loved ones and just ingesting good food with one another. That's all Thanksgiving truly is about. And for you guys to not send this man any type of money but just some six-pack and lousy candy, it's just real weird. It's real tactless. It's real just cheap. So uh, shame on you guys. Shame. I don't, I don't care how people deal about it. I don't care what people want to say. That shame, dog. I don't I don't like it. I think they should have sent him some type of money. I think they should have sent him something. Again, scammers out here, they would have found a way to finesse that check. I'm telling you right now, they would have found a way to finesse that check, but uh, uh, RMRG, I hope they actually do give you some type of money after everybody's going to shame them. Hopefully, people do, but I hope they uh give you some type of money for this. Now, earlier this week, I had a conversation with a Mr. Mark Willis. He's a financial advisor. He is the owner of Lake Growth Financial Services, which is a financial uh, service out there in Chicago, Illinois. And he also is, has a podcast called Not Your Average uh, Financial Podcast. And I was skeptical of this. I'm not going to hold you guys to try to lie to you because, again, I don't know much about finance. I said this multiple times towards him in the interview, which you're going to hear in a couple uh Seconds anyway, um, I told him that I didn't know nothing about finance, but I'm trying to learn some stuff about finance because, again, as I go into this venture, as I'm trying to be more adult in had nature, you're going to have to know about certain things that uh, I think that people think you're supposed to know immediately as soon as you become an adult and you start working out here. Like, okay, here's what you do. You get a 401k, you play stocks, or you look into this and that, and it gets so discombobulating that, you know what? You don't know what to do. Some people just like say, we're going to shelve it in the bank. We're going to do this or do that. But this opportunity landed in my lap earlier this 
technically in the middle of the year, in August, when I got set up to do this interview with Mr. Mark Willis here. And I'm about to let you guys listen to the interview. I hope you guys uh, get something out of it. And I'll be right back with you guys as soon as the interview is done with. But anyway, here's my interview with Mr. Mark Willis. Could you explain to people what a financial advisor is? Yeah, okay, sure. So the 99% of America has no financial advisor, according to recent survey and studies. And I would also say that the average person doesn't need one. In fact, most people who claim to be financial advisors are really just stock investors in disguise. And I make a distinction between those two. You know, I want my financial advisor to do something different than just pick some stocks for me. Uh, Because according to, again, according to a Morningstar survey, 93% of investors, uh, professional investors, 93% of professional investors underperformed the stock index over a 10-year period. So this means that we'd be better off just having monkeys throwing darts at a board than having a professional investor pick our stocks for us. And yet, we pay these professional investors many times greater uh, dollars than most people expect. Uh, Just to give you another statistic, the Department of Labor says that a 1% fee, the average fee is a 1.5% fee. So that's the average is a 1.5% fee. But If we just have a 1% fee on our stock accounts, brokerage accounts, IRA money, whatever, if we just had a 1% fee, it doesn't sound like a lot, right, Gerald? But over a 35-year period, that can eat away one-third of our money. A third of our nest egg just vaporizes due to fees. Mm. Now, who wins there, right? Who took all the risk? Well, you and I did. Who got paid guaranteed? The stock guy did, or gal. He he or she got a guaranteed money payment every year. Even if they lost your money, they were still getting some of that cash off your back. That to me sounds like a scam. That's I hate to say it that boldly, but it sounds like a scam. If they get paid guaranteed and we have to take all the risk, and yet we're the guy paying, that sounds like a scam. So most people don't need that kind of financial professional in their life. If you're going to pay somebody something, they need to be able to take on the risk, the obligation, the responsibility to work with you to make sure that you're getting something for the fee that you're paying, oh. right? If I if I had some uh, car mechanic and I had to pay this guy and he had essentially a guaranteed payment, but he had no obligation or responsibility to fix my car, he would be out of business like that. And yet Wall Street seems to think this is normal. And, and Americans seem to think that it's normal to just throw our money into the lap of some financial guru and hope and pray that he's not going to run off with it. Uh, and we accept all the risk. We put all of our money into 401ks, IRAs, brokerage accounts, crypto. And we think, all right, I'm doing all the adult things. I'm taking, I'm taking steps to being an adult. Uh, and it's unfortunate, but once you get into your fifties, sixties, um, Folks find out that we were sold a bill of goods. The average 401k at age 55 is only, are you ready for this? It's less than $100,000. 57,000 bucks is the average 401k balance. 57,000 bucks. 
How long is that going to last us in no. retirement? Not long, probably about what a couple months because bills and it all depends on your area location. But again, still a couple months. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate, but you cannot undo time. So when you're in your 20s and you're like, yeah, I'm I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to get my 401k. I'm going to be responsible. I'm not going to blow it at the club. You get that 401k and you start putting money into it. You can't, as a 60 year old, wake up and say, whoops, that was a bad move. Let me try something else. You can't get that time back. And so the fees are out the door. Market volatility can take you take money from you. We're certainly seeing market volatility this year. And taxes. That's the third and final nail in the coffin that um, makes me just, you know, I'm sorry I'm giving you a dour start to the conversation here, Gerald, but taxes are are unknown. We don't know where taxes are going to go in the future. Most people think that um, it's a good idea to put money into a 401k or an IRA because it defers our taxes. You know, that that word defer sounds so nice. You know, wow, I'm deferring my taxes. I'm putting money in pre-tax. And many people, many people think that 401ks, IRAs are tax-free, that you avoid paying taxes when you put it into a 401k. Nothing could be further from the truth. What does the word defer mean? Like define that word. What does the word defer mean? It just means to push it off into the future sometime. And so most people don't realize that they've got a ticking tax time bomb in their retirement accounts. And we don't know how much the government is going to take out of their 401k yet. Why do I say that? Because they literally haven't voted on how much of your 401k they own. Some of that 401k money, you got a million dollars in your 401k, good for you. But we don't know if you own 700 grand, 500 grand, 400 grand, zero dollars. We don't know how much is yours because the government hasn't voted in the future yet. They're voting on this year's tax bills and so forth. But when you're 65, we don't know what the tax rates are going to be. And that's when you get taxed on a 401k is in the future. So who would defer a root canal? It only makes the problem worse, right? It's the same with deferring our taxes. So, okay, I'm off my soapbox. I promise, man, there's some better uh, better answers, happier answers, but I had to give you my honest one to that first very poignant question. No, that that's important because, again, for people, I think, as you said, whenever people think of adulting and they are working these jobs, they want to say they're putting money away for 401ks and all these other things, and they just think money's at the end because, again, just like when retirement, People constantly work and work and work, and they want to get to retirement. They always hear about retirement so great, but they want to get retired. They're bored. They don't know that this, I have nothing to do now. They have so much time. Same thing applies with this. You hear about 401ks, you hear about these plans later, and you think, okay, I got money, and now you hit with taxes. And you think, why are you taking taxes out of my 401k? Have you ever taken taxes out of my money as I was working? What what's so you saying that? allows people to understand that you probably want to do something else with your money instead of just constantly placing off in a 401k. Now, with that, what are some plans or things that you think that people should know about? Okay, instead of putting in a 401k, even if people still might think put it in a 401k, what are some other places that they could stash their money here and there and probably let it uh, work for them? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great way to ask the question. Because what does work for them actually mean? And that's going to be a different answer for every person listening. 
What is it you need your money doing for you? I don't know the answer. No, no one knows except you. And actually, that's a great place to start. And you can do it. It's totally free. You don't need to pay some you know, fancy certified financial planner like myself to, to have that conversation with you. Just grab a legal pad, sit down and write out, what do I want my money doing for me? You work hard for your money. I assume that you're thinking a lot about it. You, you spend a lot of hours at your day job probably. So you might as well figure out what your money should be doing to work for you. As much as you're working for money, it should be working for you too. So make that list of the job description for your money. If you're going to hire money, if money was going to be your employee, what, what kind of work would you want it to do for you? And how do I answer that question? Well, I start by writing out adjectives and verbs. I don't care so much about nouns at this point. What's a noun? A noun would be like a checking account, a savings account, a 401k, an annuity, a real estate deal, cryptocurrency. Let's put all the nouns aside for a minute and just talk about verbs and adjectives. What sort of functions or attributes do I want my money to have? Do I want it to grow in a competitive way? That's that. Write that down. Do I want access to the money? Write access to money. Do I want it to be tax-free in the future like we were just talking about? Write down tax-free in the future. Do I want it to have any red tape or prohibited transactions like you know can't use it for personal stuff or can't use it for business stuff? Write those things down. Do I want it private so that if I ever got sued, God forbid, they couldn't take it away from me? Write that down, privacy. You know, Continually write down what you want your money doing for you uh, and, and then see what comes from it. You know, Let's start there. So what, what are your thoughts there, Gerald? What would you add to that list if, if you could just wave a magic wand and um, put your money wherever you want? I like the, I, I like since podcast space is still a brand new business and you start seeing certain podcasts now starting getting sued for things that they've said. I like the idea of putting money away. So just in case something might happen, you can't uh, have that be taken away from you. Um, but everything that you've listed so far seems about the right way for everybody. I think everybody will like for um, their money just to constantly grow as years and progression on instead of just have it sit there and just be stagnant. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, the list could go on and on, but the key is just thinking for ourselves. There's a quote, I'm trying to remember who wrote the quote first. It was in the Saturday Evening Post like a long time ago, but he wrote, um, uh, 10% of people think, another 10% of us think that we think, and the rest of us would rather lay down and die than think. And I feel like that's so true with our money. We're just told to get our 401k. We're told to get our credit cards. We're told to get our student loans. We're told to get into crypto. We're told to get the Roth IRA. It's all just sort of like rocks that we're adding to the backpack of our adult life. And we're just throwing this stuff in our backpacks, but we have no clue why we're doing these things. And we don't understand the the weight that it's adding to our lives. You know, I've had a lot of folks, there's a there's a study by the Journal of American Medical Association, the JAMA uh, journal, which is one of the most you know, highly regarded medical journals in the world. They recently did a study on something known as a wealth shock. And what they reported in their study was that um, of those that had a wealth shock, and they defined that as losing an average of $100,000, could be less, could be more, but the average loss was 100000 could be a, a house value dropping, could be a divorce, could be a market crash, Whatever the reason, they lost an average of a, a substantial chunk of money. Okay. So that's the idea. Of those that had that experience, of those that had that experience, 
they had a 50% greater likelihood of dying early than those who did not have that same wealth shock. So that got my the back the the hair on the back of my neck to stand up when I read that because yeah. I realized this money thing has a big part to play in the whole of my life, my physical health, my relationships, my spirituality, my parenting, my legacy, my mission. All right, my my blood pressure for goodness sakes. If I have my money in the wrong places, I could die earlier. Okay, that's a big deal. So I was on a big hunt to find, well, where do I want my money to live? This is going to shock you. But when I was studying uh, to get my CFP, I had to get all this stuff verified. And I went through 450 different financial parking spaces that you can put your money. You know, again, checking account, 401k, IRA, dynastic trusts, annuities, uh, long-term syndication deals, the whole gamut, man. Um, And it was a lot of fun to learn all that. But only one of the tools really checked all the boxes for me, for my own personal list of what I wanted my money doing for me. And of all things, it was a a little known variation of a 200-year-old financial asset called dividend-paying whole life insurance. And I have to be honest with you, I almost quit the whole thing when I realized that whole life insurance met all of my personal desires for money. Uh, And I realized this is sort of crazy to be saying, but I didn't believe it, even though I was studying it. I didn't believe it. So I had to dig a little deeper. Uh, because I'd always been taught that whole life insurance is a terrible place to put your money and you should put it all into the stock market or you should put it all into real estate. But I couldn't look away. Uh, Here's what it does. And I'll be brief and then I'll hush and get your feedback. Mm -hmm. If it's designed properly, if it's not designed for commissions, which is how most whole life insurance is designed, but if it's designed instead of commissions, if it's designed to grow your wealth, it does uh, three things really well and a kind of a fourth thing too. So the first is it's life insurance. So it automatically creates a legacy for your family. And that's an income tax-free death benefit, just like term insurance. But unlike term insurance, it doesn't get more expensive as you age. And unlike term insurance, it lasts the entire of your life. So it doesn't ever expire on you. Uh, and then third, uh, it can build up equity. Term insurance, you can't, you're just renting it, the death benefit. But when it's whole life insurance, you can build up real wealth, equity in the policy, cash value, stuff you can spend on this side of the grass. So that's the first piece. Second, that cash value is really cool because it grows guaranteed like every year, even this year, like right now in this moment, as we're recording this, we just had uh, crypto failures last week with FTX disassembling itself in front of the world stage. We, we've seen the market unravel somewhere between 20 and 35%, depending on what market we're talking about with S&P 500 and that NASDAQ. So we've seen some wild volatility in these markets. But my policies that I personally own have hit all-time record highs this year, and they'll do that again, guaranteed, next year, and the next year, and the next year, every single year for the rest of my life. I've had these policies myself for over 11 years. Uh, They've been around for over 200 and they've consistently given folks those guaranteed gains every year. Uh, so that's the second one is it grows guaranteed. Third, I have access to that money and I can use it any way I want to. Uh, and there are no taxes due when I get the money out. So it's like a Roth IRA, but without, it's not a Roth IRA, but it's like one in that I can get the money out in retirement income tax-free if we design it properly. 
And then the last thing, the one that blows me away, <clears throat> the last thing is that I can use it like a bank. I can borrow against my cash value and then I can pay for my car or my vacation or my business investment or my real estate. I can access the money and I can pay cash for the big purchase, but my policy is still compounding and growing like I had not touched the money. It grows even on the capital I borrowed as if I hadn't touched a dime of the cash. So if I've got a $50,000 cash value in one of these policies, and let's say I borrow out 40,000 bucks to go invest in you know, a real estate deal, while that loan is outstanding, I'm still getting the full compound growth on all $50,000 and I've got my 40 grand out there working in the real estate deal at the same time. So this is a way for our mind money to do two things at once. And that's kind of bank on your, we call these bank on yourself designed whole life policies. Okay. So with that analogy, with you taking the 40,000 out of your 55,000 and having it work out for you, what you still left with 15,000, you're still having, you're still able to get the effect as in everything was still in there. But in reality, 15,000 is still in there. That's what I'm, trying to understand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We are borrowing against the cash. We didn't actually drain the money out. Um, let me put it to you this way. If you've got a savings account, okay. what do you do? You save money in that savings account, save, save, save. And let's say you've saved up 50,000 bucks. That's sweet. Feeling good. Got your 50 bones sitting inside that savings account. And how do you buy something? Well, you have to make a withdrawal from the savings account to go pay cash for the car or whatever else we were going to buy with that money. <clears throat> How much interest do we earn on money we've withdrawn from our bank accounts? I'll give you a clue. It's zero. <laughs> Once you take the money out of the bank account, you're not earning a penny on that money. It's gone forever. This was the wake-up call of my adult life with regard to money. And that is that you finance everything you buy. You finance everything you buy. Either you finance it with a car dealership or a credit card or student loans, you're financing it with some other bank or you save up and pay cash for that thing and thereby you bypass any earned interest that you could have earned on that money had you not bought that thing. So if I had left my 50 grand in my savings account, that 50 would have slowly grown to 60, 70, 80 over my lifetime, right? But because I spent the money, I no longer have 50 earning for me I now only earn whatever's left on whatever's left in my savings account. Is that concept of, that's the opportunity cost. Does that make sense? Yes. But when I borrow against something like this policy, when I borrow against it, I'm simply using the cash value as the fancy word is collateral. So I'm borrowing against the policy and I walk into the dealer and I pay cash for the car or the real estate deal or whatever, mm -hmm. but my policy is still whole. It's still in there still growing as if I hadn't touched a dime of the money because I borrowed from the insurance company, not from my policy itself. So my policy is still compounding on the full 50 grand and I'm driving my car around or I'm you know, getting rent from my real estate deal or whatever I bought with the money. Uh, that to me is better than paying cash. It's better than paying cash for big purchases because I still get my money growing for me versus with a savings account, it's either or. With these policies, it's both and. Okay. It's starting to uh, make some headway there. Again, not much of a finance person, so everything's 
slowly getting there, but I'm grasping it slowly as everything is being mentioned. And once I play this audio back again, I'll probably grasp it more and more. Um, that's a lot. I again, a lot of people don't know about finance. I'm just gonna be blunt. I don't think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people don't like to ask questions because we're supposed to know these things when you become a quote-unquote adult and just like, okay, there's a wealth of knowledge when you hit 25. Oh, now I know. I know nothing. And I think a lot of people are afraid to say that. So is there, what other things should people know about finance that people might not know when it comes down to either banking or the stocks or even crypto? What are certain things that people should know that we don't know or we pretend to know that we really don't? Well, you're so right, man. You're not alone. And I certainly didn't grow up knowing anything about money. I know we're not taught this in school. That's for sure. Uh, and not that we'd want our teachers really t- teaching us about money. I mean, they're not exactly decamillionaires themselves. Uh, so, you know, you want to be very careful who you're being taught, who's teaching you about money. That's maybe a first lesson right there. But it's okay to admit that, hey, we just don't know. Uh, I I was so ignorant. I stumbled into $120,000 of student loan debt in the midst of the Great Recession in 2008. And I had no idea how money worked. And I was racking up credit card debt and I had no plans to pay it off. So, you know, you can start anywhere, but you can always learn a little bit every day. So implementing the 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 discipline of education and self-improvement is going to be crucial. More important than learning how to, you know, how to use a bank on your self-designed whole life insurance policy or investing in the right crypto or stock or whatever. More important than any of that is to realize that you are your own greatest investment. You've got better rate of return on yourself than really anything else for two reasons. One, you have more control over this asset, yourself, your body, your mind. And two, you literally have a mathematical advantage over any other asset. Uh, think about it. I don't, I don't know how old you are, uh, Gerald. Let's, let's say, say again. 26. 26? 26. Man, so I don't know how much you make. I'm just going to give a random number. Let's say 100 grand. I, I don't know. Let's just say you're making 100 grand, 100 big ones, and you're 26. And let's say you work till you're 66. That means you've got another whatever. What is that? 44, 40 years, right? 40 years. Times a hundred thousand bucks is four million dollars, and that's assuming no pay raises. You never got a pay raise in all of forty years. That's four million dollars. I bet you and most of us, myself included, don't think to put our earned income capacity on our net worth statement. But it's most of our biggest asset is our ability to earn an income. So four million dollars is a in. Uh, it's an inherent asset on your balance sheet. But most of us ignore that big asset. Now, what if we were able to get a 3% raise and then even a 5% raise or 7% raise every year for 40 years? Can you imagine the kind of compounding that would happen? And by the way, I, I didn't assume any savings of that money. You just spent it in, in my hypothetical example. But what if you could pack that money away? and get some kind of yield on that. So not only are you getting a raise at the day job, but you're also getting a rate of return on your investments. This is how folks escape the the rat race and become financially free. It's by investing in themselves. How do you get that pay raise to go from 3% to 7%? You get better 
educated. You get certifications. You prove how valuable you can be to your boss. Or if you're self-employed, you figure out a way to improve yourself for the marketplace and for your customers. The more you know, and more importantly, the more you apply your knowledge, the more you apply that knowledge, the more you can increase that best investment in your portfolio, which is the four pound knot of neurons in between our ears. That's that's true. Thing. Even that's that's true because even I took a college course in the summer, and he had me make a five like year plan, and that way of with the podcast he asks about what do I want out of it, and I didn't never really think about five years like going down. I'm always a day by day type uh, person. And it made me think, okay, in five years, what do I want this thing to be? And once I got those five years idea generalized, I was able to actually knock one out of the way early. Matter of fact, just last month, because um, I have every, I have about every country listening to this, at least one person or sporadically from month to month. And I just can never, ever hit the Mexican, like the Mexico country. I can never, ever hit it. And then sometime last month, I was actually able to hit it. And I was like, okay, that's great. Because now I can actually say I've had everybody, at least from North America, listen to the pod. So now I have that out of the way. Okay, so now I'm trying to think of out of that five step, five years. Okay, now that's done. And I got that out of my head space. What next do I want to accomplish next? So with you saying that to apply what you learn and make yourself more Make yourself either visible or more, I'm trying to look for the better word for it, uh, self-sufficient for your employee or your boss. I think people don't realize that because, again, we're all, we all are in the rat race of every day. Just do your job, whatever, and just get out that we forget to. Maybe I should apply that here and see if I see if that would help me out and see if somebody will take notice of it. So I will now think about that more. Yeah, you think about the the um, recent uh, push in the marketplace doing what's called quiet quitting. Uh, we think we're really sneaking by the boss and just doing as little as we possibly can by quiet quitting. Uh, you're really shooting yourself in the foot. You're demoting yourself. You're taking that $4 million in my hypothetical there and you're bringing it down to 3 million. Like what is the cost of just barely scraping by, just doing what you only what you have to to not get fired? That is an unbelievably um, short-sighted way to live in my opinion. And I agree with you man. There's a great quote by Gloria Steinem. She says, "Rich people plan for four generations, but poor people plan for Saturday night." So, as you think about yourself as your greatest investment and you are mathematically, we can prove that better than any crypto better than any other stock investment. If you're your own greatest investment, what are you doing to prepare yourself, not just for this Saturday night, not even, I love the five-year question. I love that. And then beyond five years, how could we even imagine the world being changed over a 10-year period? What about five generations from now? There's businesses in Japan that have been around for, family-owned businesses that have been around for over a thousand years. That just blows my mind, right? So 
how do you how do you design a business plan that lasts a thousand years? Could you even do that? Could I even do that? So anyway, thinking like a banker helps me think long range because I realize that banks have been in the business of making profits for thousands of years. There's literally a book by David Graeber called Debt the First 5,000 Years. <laughs> and that's, to me, telling me that banking is the business that we all need to be in. In fact, we already are, uh, even if we don't realize it, which is why I think this whole life insurance contract fits so well with our overall financial goals, whatever they might be. You know, whether you're just needing to buy a couple of cars over your lifetime or invest in some real estate or invest in your business. If you've got the banking function, I know you're into wrestling. You ever take like your opponent's weight, the you, he's coming at you, mm-hmm. you know, fast, and you're able to take that weight, leverage it against him, throw him on the mat and pin him down. Uh, I'm a total novice when it comes to wrestling, so forgive me. But uh, yeah, but you take that leverage uh, and you can use it against them. What if you could do the same with banking? What if you could take the problem of credit card debt, student loan debt, mortgages, all the other car loans, boy, those are the scourge of the middle class right there. And you could flip that upside down and become your own source of financing. What if you could be your own banker? What would that do? How might that improve our financial situation? How might that add some control to our finances? We could set our own repayment terms to ourselves. What if we could pay ourselves the interest that we're currently shoveling out to you know, the greedy banksters? What if we could control the whole banking process and take back that control from the banks that currently have it over our heads, the overlords of our financial universe? I just feel like how many marriages would be saved? How many you know, businesses would be saved? How many people, literally, lives would be saved if we didn't have this four-letter word of debt hanging around our neck? But we actually didn't just get rid of the debt. We actually became the creditor ourselves. We became the banker ourselves. That would be great. I think a lot of people would be free in a mindset way instead of always being dragged down and always worrying about, okay, I got to get the money for this or that. And I think everybody would be uh, better off. Um, I see there are times about the wrap up because I've been looking at the time to make sure everything is all straight away. Um, so I just got two questions and this is kind of like unrelated to finance now for these two, because these are something I like to ask. Um, if you had five people dead or alive to invite for dinner, who would you have dinner with and why? Five. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. All right. Let me see here. Give me a second. And I'll put, put my thoughts together on this one. Thomas Edison. I think he'd be a great one to just get his mind and understand his creative spirit. Uh, could I in- invite fictional people? Sure, it's your name, man. All right. Uh, how about Willy Wonka? I think uh, he 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 uh, he has a quote. He says, "A little nonsense now and then is relished by the wisest men." So I think thinking playfully and creatively can help you break out of like the rat race. So he'd be another one. No, that's number two. Let's see. It'd be so cool to sit down with John F. Kennedy. I think he'd be just an unbelievable character to learn more from. Um. So that's number three. How about Jim Rohn? He's one of my favorites for inspirational quotes. He says, make rest a necessity, not an objective. And he's got about 10,000 other quotes that I could probably read off to you. But I think Jim Rohn's heart and his business mind um, is one of my favorites. So that's four. 
And how about Dan Sullivan? Dan Sullivan's another great guy. Uh, he He's a business entrepreneur. He's in his 70s. Um, he has some great quotes, including, um, uh, always make your future bigger than your past. He's still saying that now, and he's 76 years old or whatever. Always make your future bigger than your past. He also says, the skills that got you out of Egypt will not get you into the promised land. Whoa, that'll rock my world if I think about that too long. So those five guys. What type of message do you want to leave by, well, this interview, this audience with? What do you want to leave them with for them to at least take in? If they didn't take nothing else away from this, what's something that you want to leave them with? Uh, You can wake up from the matrix of banking. You are in the banking world, whether you realize it or not. It's like the water that we swim in as little fishies. And they can control the temperature of our aquarium and cook us or freeze us. They can feed us or not feed us, but you can jump out of their aquarium and swim in your own great blue ocean. You can become your own source of financing if you know how to do it. And it doesn't take a PhD in finance. You just have to think different and be willing to to try something that maybe has lasted for hundreds of years, thousands of years, but we've just never been taught it by you know the likes of ordinary oh-so-average financial advisors. Okay. Um, if Well, yeah, one more thing. If you want to plug away at your social media sites, uh, here's the time to do it now to let people know where they can find you and uh, probably get you as a financial advisor too. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we'd, I'd be happy to have a brainstorming conversation, 15 minutes, see if we'd be a good fit. Uh, you can find me at kickstartwithmark.com. That's kickstartwithmark, with a K, dot com. Have a 15-minute chat over the phone, get to know you a bit, answer any questions you have, help you in any way in your financial journey to think differently about your money, your economy, or your future. That's kickstartwithmark.com. And that's my interview with Mr. Mark Willis. I would like to thank him for being on the pod. Um, I also would like to thank him for dropping some knowledge about finance because, again, I don't know much about finance, but I'm starting to at least try to dabble my feet into it so I know what's the best Uh, for my future and also my family's future. So thank him for being on the pod. Now, with that all being said, I want to wish you guys a happy Thanksgiving because this episode drops well today on the week of Thanksgiving. I hope everybody's out there being safe. Everybody got to their destination safely or if they're driving right now to their family or wherever they got to spend the rest of this week with whoever it is for Thanksgiving. I hope you make it to your destination safe and soundly. And please just be careful whether you're taking a flight or you're driving, especially for the people that's going up into the, at least the Midwest or in the Northeast, like the Connecticut, the New York, Massachusetts, the Maines, uh, Chicago, the Illinois, the Detroit, Michigan, all those areas, because also Wisconsin, because it's supposed to be snowing and like hard for you guys to get up there. I hope you guys make it up there uh, safe and soundly. Now, with that being said, I hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving week. I hope you guys are safe, sound, and just okay. I would like to thank Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbeam, all these other podcast sites that allowed me to continue to do what I've been doing for the past 100 and now one episodes. And I would like to thank you, the listeners, because without you guys, this podcast wouldn't have as many downloads as it does have. So I want to thank every single one of you. So always remember. I love you. I love you. I love you all. I thank you all. Please have a blessed uh, Thanksgiving week and be able to enjoy it with your loved ones and people that you care about. Don't spend Thanksgiving with people that you do not care about because why 
do it. You already do that enough the rest of the, what, 364 days of the week? At least have that one day be around with people that you actually do love and you actually do care about. So hopefully you guys are able to do that. And also, please, if you can, if you're into wrestling, listen to the Full Gear, AEW Full Gear uh, review that I just have up as well because that pay-per-view happened last night and that episode should be up right now as I'm talking to you. So again, if you are into wrestling, please listen to that. But if not, hey man, you'll listen to me uh, next Sunday when I talk to you again about news and everything else that's been happening this forthcoming week. So with that, this isn't goodbye. This is until you hear from the sweet sounding voice again. He is I and I am him. I have been G2. This has been my Two Cents Podcast. I love you all. Have a blessed week. And Kanye, could you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept.